0: Christian Zionism in America and its stranglehold on the American public, right here, right now, on VT Radio.
1: Let's go. With host Johnny Punish.
0: And we're back on VT Radio with the effervescent Mark Dankoff from Texas and Justin, or as they call him, Chief Justin Time, the assistant manager of VT from the deep uh, mountains, uh, is it the mountains or plains of Montana? Gentlemen, yeah. welcome to the show. Good to be
2: here. Good to meet Justin for the first time. I know his name, of course, through communications that we've had, but actually to have a name of a face and that that's good stuff. Good. Before we get started, gentlemen, I want to
0: show you something. I am wearing a traditional Palestinian kufiya, and I I want to mention it to our readers because today we're talking about Christian Zionism and its effect on the American system. And as you know, we both have a serious event going on in Gaza. Some people call it mowing the lawn in Gaza. And I wanted to mention what this was about, just a little bit of a history of it. Uh, The kufiya has taken many forms. It's dating back as far as 3,100 BC in Mesopotamia, in the what they call the Kufa region of Iraq, okay? In Palestine, the garment was initially only popular among the rural workers of the country. They're called the falah, like the rural workers, okay? Uh, and maybe in American terms, you call them the hillbillies, okay? Its breathability makes it an effective way to protect farmers from the harsh sun and sand, so you put it over your mouth like this and etc., Now, that's in contrast to what the Ottomans used to wear, which is called the tarbush, which is like the fez thing. Those were worn by the urban classes. So I wanted to mention it to you so you don't think we're a bunch of terrorists. It's really a traditional (laughs) thing that dates back 3,000 freaking years, okay? So just give us a freaking break, all right? And by the way,
2: Johnny, either you stand for Israel or you're against us.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm an ethnically cleansed Palestinian. My mom was born in Haifa, Palestine, 1939. Uh, you're looking at an ethnically cleansed person, um, and I'm proud to be. So I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be an ethnically cleansed person, uh, and I'm. I stand up for all the children of Israel and Palestine, uh, all the kids, and that's what we'll start it off right now. But let's talk about Christian Zionism. Uh, Justin, go ahead and ask your first question to Mark about Christian Zionism.
1: Yeah. So growing growing up in a Christian home here in America, and and I think I where this basis got started is with me and Johnny i posed a question i think we've been lied to i think over the years we have been lied to about what the truth is with israel what the truth is with the jews we know we know there was an issue with the jews not many years ago um in in germany and how they were slaughtered and and a lot of that story of what we're taught in school is you know, what they, what they want to tell us. Right. So I posed a question to, um, Johnny and I said, so we've got this war going on in Israel. What, what is the truth behind this? Because we've got terms being thrown out there like Zionists. So for all the listeners, for all the readers of VT radio and VT foreign policy.com, some of them might not know the truth behind some of what these terms are. You hear Zionists being thrown out on news media in America. You hear uh, anti-Semitism being thrown out. Oh, you you know you're anti-Semitic, and and what is the truth behind this? And that's when Johnny said, "All right, you've got some really good questions. We need to we need to enlighten the listeners. We need to enlighten the readers. Enlighten myself." And um, everyone can everyone can enjoy this. So if we go back to the definition of Zionist, a supporter of Zionism, this comes directly from our big tech foe, friend, whatever you want to call him, Google, a person who believes in the development and protection of a Jewish nation in what is now Israel. That's a Zionist. If we go and we look at what is what is the media calling anti-Semitism, the hostility or the prejudice against Jewish people. I was talking to Johnny when I questioned this, and he, he said, well, a Semite, a Semite is, is not necessarily just a Jew. So if you look what that definition is, a member of any of the people who speak or have spoke a Semitic language, including in particular the Jews, the Arabs, And then Johnny uh, even mentioned there's some caveats with that, like the European uh, Semites uh, aren't included, or the European Jews aren't included in that. So there's a lot of confusion. And I don't think I am the only one who has this confusion. So let's crack open this nutshell. Let's get to maybe some of the bottom of this uh, for myself, for the viewers, for the listeners, and, and begin to unwrap why America has such a hostility to anyone who is not standing on the Mount of Olives with Israelis or with Israel, what this 16 million Jews in the world, what they stand for, why there is this protectionism in America for them and how the Palestinians, like our friend here, Johnny punish and his family kind of just, Get pushed to the side. Let's just push them off into the Mediterranean and and forget them, right? So that was the start of this whole thing. I I hand it to you, Mark. If you've got some insights to start this, well, uh, there's
2: a lot wrapped into this. Justin, as as your as your uh, as your good question implies, Uh, in the first place, uh, we're dealing with questions related to issues of race. We're uh, talking about different competing claims uh, on the basis of particular groups' uh, views of biblical revelation, uh, whatever that is supposed to mean, we'll get into that shortly, uh, we get into this this whole interesting aspect uh, of how anti-Semitism, in my view, uh, has been ill-defined by Google because it doesn't really examine the particulars of, of the peoples who comprise the Semitic peoples, and who speak Semitic languages. Neither does it get into the touchy topic of whether or not the bulk of Jews who founded the state of Israel uh, were Ashkenazic Jews, as I understand this, from Europe. There's a very serious question as to whether they have any racial lineage to the biblical figure Abraham or not. So that's another part of this controversy that enters into the picture and, um, and then I think people like Dr. E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars, a Roman Catholic scholar and historian, uh, quite rightly point to the term anti-Semitic as that would be applied today by someone like uh, Congresswoman uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz up in Michigan, who would define anyone as an anti-Semite who does not go along with the Israeli lobby and the Zionist state of Israel in anything that they do or advocate. And uh, that, I think, is probably the most realistic uh, definition of what is really implied, never spelled out, obviously, by the people at Google, as to what's involved in this, in this conversation. Uh, and the other, I think, Mike Jones, E. Michael Jones of Cultural Wars, identifies as uh, Jewish control of discourse. This, in, uh, in and of itself, this conversation would, deem to be, uh, would be deemed anti-Semitic. Uh, in mainstream media and on Google, because we're examining the very real question uh, of everything from who owns five out of the six major media consortiums that were created from the mergers of the 1990s. We talk about the uh, v- uh, very Jewish character of the of the of the power structure that controls American social media outlets that decides what can be published and what can't be. Then you start getting into uh, when uh, questions about people that we need to hear from, like uh, Dr. Philip Giraldi uh, the, uh, of the Council for the National Interest, an ex-CIA station chief in a couple of different countries, uh, articulate scholar, historian, uh, linguist, uh, who points out to us uh, repeatedly in the Un's Review, among other places, uh, that when you start looking at uh, what the real power base is uh, for the support of this uh, ill-fated uh, American involvement in this coup d'etat in Ukraine and the subsequent latest attempt uh, to surround and encircle Putin, all the, way, uh, all the way over to, obviously, the, uh, the questions that surround 9-11, the project for the new American century, uh, that, that, that uh, are involved with, with names like Victoria Nuland and Robert Kagan uh, and all of these other key figures uh, in what is called neoconservatism, uh, I think uh, the late Murray Friedman, who was obviously Jewish himself, wrote an encyclopedic volume discussing neoconservative, neoconservatism as specifically a Jewish movement, predominantly. And I think Friedman's encyclopedic work goes a long way toward proving uh, the claim uh, that the title of the book uh, obviously uh, obviously states. Now, when you add to that the phenomenon of Christian Zionism, this is where we get into uh, current powerful figures uh, in the Christian Zionist movement. Arguably the most powerful is right here in San Antonio, Texas, John Hagee of Cornerstone Church uh, in the Stone Oak region of San Antonio, who is also the chairman of the so-called Christians United for Israel uh, movement. Uh, and they have had a, tr- a disproportionate impact just within Christian Zionism. Uh, in supporting the state of Israel politically and financially, uh, the late y- uh, Rabbi Yechiel Eckstein uh, was, as I understand it, the founder of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Uh, he and I met years ago in Seattle, had a spirited but uh, civil conversation uh, on this subject, uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the the importance of all of this in history uh, is is key. Not simply getting back into historical questions as it relates to how Christian Zionism developed, what it is, what its basic tenets are, um, uh, and that's that's something for uh that some excellent researchers and writers uh have, have put together for us so that we can begin to see that this Christian Zionist phenomenon uh well predates the televangelists, it well predates uh John Hagee, the late Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, and goes back to critical figures. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, which in the first part of the 19th century, the the whole prophetic school of thought that, that fueled what we know today as Christian Zionism is something called dispensationalism or dispensational premillennialism. I won't try to unpack that just yet. But uh, this uh, comes from John Nelson Darby of the Plymouth Brethren, who is believed to be uh, the first... Uh, in, in basically trying to systemize, uh, systematize a little bit the the tenets of what became known as Christian Zionism. It is alleged that he received some of his material from a Scottish prophetess by the name of Margaret MacDonald, who in a state of uh, prophetic ecstasy, seriously, uh, had all these strange dreams and visions that she allegedly discussed uh, with with uh, Darby that became a part of his thinking. Uh, my good friend Dave Macdonald uh, has written extensively uh, on, on this whole subject of, of Darby and this influence from the Scottish prophetess. And then we get into uh, the, the Schofield Reference Bible of uh, the midway point of the 19th century uh, where Cyrus Schofield basically took the, the John Nelson Darby uh, worldview and systematized it uh, with a version of the Old and the New Testament that was chiefly important for the study notes. This is a key thing, because people who follow the Schofield Reference Bible line of thinking uh, unwittingly tri- uh, treat the the uh, the study notes of Cyrus Schofield as though they too are inspired Scripture. Uh, and, of course, that's not the case at all, obviously, but it 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 certainly paved the way for what became the entrance of Christian Zionism into the United States after uh, world, after the American Civil War. Now, there are uh, a couple of things I'd like to point out at this point. You can start seeing how involved this all gets. I've made a list of things that I sent to Johnny. Yes.
0: Hey, okay. Mark, real, real quick, um, sure. Justin has a quick question to elaborate yeah, so, on what you're saying. Uh, Go ahead, Justin.
1: I feel like this is a good time to pause and say, okay, so uh, Christian Zionism, if, if that is what's going on in America today, whether it be government, whether it be individuals, or whether it be this Christendom, the Christian church in America, and then they get behind it like what you're saying with that one pastor. Uh, and, and then you also, we need to unpack, we need to unpack, is this a media thing? Like you said, five of the six, I believe that's what you said, five of the six big media companies um, are owned by jewish jewish people or jewish companies is is that correct there's that jewish connection so my point yes, is yes. is we we can throw all of these terminologies out there we can throw all this out there but why is america this christian zionism why because the bible tells us to because some figurehead tells us to what Why do we have this in America?
2: Well, I think that gets back to history. A couple of things I was going to mention that uh, obviously are well beyond the scope of what we can do here. Uh, Dr. Timothy Weber, uh, who uh, received his Ph.D. from the University of Chicago, I've never met him, read several of his books. Several of his books really unpack this in a way that we can't do in in a TV video or on a radio show. One is entitled Living in the Shadow of the Second Coming. This explains the development of American premillennialism, chiefly the dispensational premillennial variety of of prophetic thinking that, that of course, is is the foundation of Christian Zionism. Uh, Dr. Weber discusses this development from 1875 all the way to 1982 when I was studying under both Christian Zionists and, and, uh, and, and Christians of a more traditional Uh, prophetic school of thought when I was at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. And then Dr. Weber has since written another book. I think it came out in 2004, and uh, it's entitled uh, uh, The March to Armageddon, uh, How Christian Zionists Became Israel's Best Friend. That will also unpack a lot of this. But suffice it to say that uh, Johnny and I have had a conversation. He subsequently has printed this manuscript, of Jonathan Moorhead, who's an evangelical scholar, uh, who for the Journal of the Evangelical, uh, uh, Th- Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society, or JETS, penned something on the late William E. Blackstone. William E. Blackstone was not only the re- uh, a, a pivotal figure in Christian Zionism, it's even argued that William E. Blackstone, who was a fundamentalist, uh, Christian businessman originally from Chicago, uh, that he became the driving force in the creation of the uh, of the state of Israel, uh, which occurred some uh, 12 years after his death, but that nonetheless, William E. Blackstone set the stage even before Theodore Herzl, uh, the uh, the art uh, of course considered by many to be the father of modern Zionism, Jewish fellow, uh, the the Vienna Council on Zionism, uh, the uh, uh, yeah, the author, yes, Der Judenstod, the author of that, Blackstone. It is argued, and Jonathan Moorhead, I think, goes a long way toward uh toward uh supporting this point of view. William E. Blackstone took the bull by the horns and basically uh, created over time something you can e- even read about in summation on Wikipedia, the Blackstone Memorial where William E. Blackstone uh, was a pivotal figure in helping to found Biola University of of Los Angeles. Biola, by the way, stands for Biblical Institute of Los Angeles, Biola University, major center of Christian Zionism. They later developed a, a theological seminary, Talbot School of Theology. Charles Feinberg, a Christian Zionist who had converted from Orthodox Judaism, uh was was a big name who taught at that school for years. I studied under his under his son Paul Feinberg at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. Paul was also a Christian Zionist. But nonetheless, getting back to Blackstone, uh Blackstone basically was not simply uh re uh, influential in helping to f- create more Christian institutions who had the Christian Zionist dispensational premillennial point of view, but uh, he was because of his powerful connections in Chicago, in the secular business world, and in the banking community. This is pivotal. In the banking community, uh, William E. Blackstone essentially got some very diverse people on the same team in terms of wanting to facilitate the eventual creation and reestablishment of a modern state of Israel. Uh, those Those names would include uh, J P. Morgan and John Rockefeller, among many others. Blackstone had the kinds of connections where he recruited these people uh and and merged them with the with his uh his Christian Zionist uh, uh, group, which of course, from the time of the schofield reference Bible uh in its the beginnings of its distribution in the United States after the American Civil War uh the dispensationalist or dispensational premillennial school of prophetic interpretation became the predominant school of thought within what we term today Protestant evangelicalism. Now, I'm going to say something at this point, and then we can get back to this maybe later. This particular book here uh, is a critically important book, both uh, in terms of exegeting these biblical passages as well as understanding the history of the Christian Zionist movement. This book uh, was written by uh, Dr. O.T. Alice, Oswald T. Alice, who uh, taught at both Princeton and Westminster. And uh, the the Westminster-Princeton School of Biblical Interpretation as it pertained to prophecy, and keep in mind that we are talking about the Princeton of long ago, uh, this, the Westminster Theological Seminary is a premier academic bastion within Protestant evangelicalism to this very day, but is a non-Zionist, some would even say anti-Christian Zionist institution in regard to the way that it looks at prophecy. Uh, and in terms of this particular book, uh, I think the, the the point of it is that it unpacks for, for those who have Little or no exposure to what this Christian Zionism is all about. Its history, its presuppositions, what its implications are. Alice's book, fascinatingly enough, was written before the end of World War II. It was written, he published it in January of 1945. He could see what was coming with the creation of the modern Zionist state. And he says many things at the beginning of that book that basically, uh, using this term very loosely and advisedly, uh, are now politically prophetic in terms of where this was going to take the United States, where it would take the world, and that it was based upon a false understanding of the of uh, of the relationship between uh, racial Israel, national Israel, on the one hand, and the Christian Church that that was leading Christian Zionism into an argument that basically uh, said that the Christian church that we know uh, from the last 2,000 years was nothing more than a mystery parenthesis in God's dealings with racial national Israel. This comes from an interpretation of the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. I've got a paper out there, which Johnny's got a copy of. You can read this if you can stand to get through it. Uh, O.T. Alice does a nice job of unpacking this, but basically, uh, and I know that this is detailed, but it'll be helpful in the in Daniel chapter 9 going all the way back to the 6th century BC prophet Daniel uh Don EL the God of Israel is my judge is is the literal uh translation of the meaning of his name uh Daniel during the Babylonian exile uh when in 586 uh, BC Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the the uh the Solomonic temple uh Jews were dispersed through uh, those who, who who managed to uh to, to live through the experience and who were dispersed ended up in different places. Daniel ended up in Persia, modern Iran. Uh, Daniel's grave, by the way, is in Susa uh, uh, in southern Iran, very close to the Persian Gulf. It's, uh, check that out online. It's interesting to get an examination of his tomb. But nonetheless, Daniel, in the ninth chapter, uh, had a vision of 470 years. Or I should say, I'm sorry. 490 years, 70 times seven. Now, whether you believe in any of this or not, this is this is the logic of this. There are two different. There, there's a difference of opinion among these Protestant evangelicals as to the beginning of this 490 year prophecy. Some date it from the uh, from the uh, time of Cyrus the Great's interest in. Uh, 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 rise in world history, they, they would say um, 538 B.C. Uh, there's another school of thought which looks at Liam, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 in the Old Testament during the reign of the Persian king Artaxerxes II and takes that to, uh, I believe, oh, is it is at 458 B.C. Um, I have to go back and check the exact date there. But the idea is that from one of those two beginning points, Daniel then proceeds to mention a series of things that will happen, uh, and that this, this includes the, 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 uh, the fall of Babylon, the rise of Medio persia the fall of Medio persia the rise of Alexander the Great, and after Alexander's uh, death, the, the, the splitting of the, of, the, of the Greek Empire, and then finally Daniel foresaw, if you believe in predictive prophecy, I happen to, some liberal scholars say all of this was written after the fact. But nonetheless, the fourth empire mentioned in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, and, and referenced in Daniel chapter 9 is the Roman Empire. Now, the, 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 uh, the difference is, here's here the critical difference in the way Christian Zionists look at reality and the way that their non-Zionist Christian counterparts do and O.T. Alice is a go-to source on this. Um, Zionists believe that at the end of 483 years of this prophecy, that God turned off the prophetic clock. Now, they they, they don't justify or attempt to explain, you know, the particulars of that. O.T. Alice says, why do they believe that? Well, it's because the theory requires it. That's his rather cynical view. But they at the end of 483 years, of of these, uh, what you have at that point is uh, 69 segments of seven years. God turns off the prophetic clock. Uh, Then we see uh, some 2,000 years uh, in the so-called church age that are nothing more than a mere parenthesis in history. Now, this becomes critical because for John Hagee of Cornerstone Church and Christians United for Israel, and for the late Pat Robertson and the late Jerry Falwell and all of these other Christian Zionist folks, the idea is that when Paul references uh, the fact that in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I don't want to go too far with that except to say that for Hagee and these Christian Zionists, that occurs at the point where God turns the prophetic clock back on. And as we get closer to Armageddon, and these Christian Zionists are helping to, in their minds, speed up their direct translation into heaven by bringing about World War Three, this is pretty sick stuff, but this is <laughs> this is where it is, that at that point uh, uh, the, the, the Christian Zionists of the world are directly translated into heaven as the Old Testament prophets Enoch and Elijah were, Everyone else is left behind. You remember the Tim Hay book series, Left Behind? This is where this sort of thing comes from. He was another famous Christian Zionist in Republican uh, political circles. And it's at that point God turns the prophetic clock back on. And the last seven years are a battle between the state of Israel uh, and all of its opponents uh, and that uh, th- this right. is— Again, this is where this thinking comes from. If you can follow it, it's 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 you know I've I've read through and studied this stuff a long time. It it is it's pretty strange stuff, but that that's where this comes from.
0: Now, Mark, let me ask you a question real quick because the conflict Justin is having is in the year two thousand twenty-three. Right now, he's starting to feel like he's been duped a little bit about what's going on, and it's 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 questioning his beliefs it's questioning the his christian society that he lives in his church that maybe he goes to I'll let him speak to that but justin go ahead and um, more about your feelings about this
1: yes yeah, so you you've unpacked you've unpacked a lot and we should probably digest some of that right now for myself for their listeners for the readers everyone who wants to who wants to question the why so all of your biblical references are spot on, but you know, you go back to Hagee and, and this Christian Zionism and we're going to stand with Israel and we're going to, my question is, is what is, what is the, what is the reason? What is the movement? What is the purpose of being this Christian Zionist saying Israel first? uh, These, and I'm putting parentheses around God's chosen people when, When, you know, let's say I I looked it up, Mr. Google says there's 16.1 million Jews across the earth, and there's only 300,000 Messianic Jews. That means 15.9 million Jews don't believe Christ is the Messiah, but we are going to be a nation of Christian Zionism, putting Israel, putting these Jews first, like die over these people when they don't even they don't even acknowledge Christ as our savior
0: in my view um you've been duped okay uh I'm gonna be very direct about this because I'm not overly religious okay um really you've been duped (laughs) yes you've been marketed to you've been lied to and you're being used for the people in power that want global power they're not like you and me. You're not invited to their meetings. We're not invited to their meetings. They're, you're not welcome there. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to touch you. Okay. But what they do want you to do is to work for them. You're a slave to them. Exactly. So they they're using you for your money, your taxpayer dollars. We've we've given uh, United States have given two hundred eighty billion dollars of U.S. taxpayer money not to invest in Montana or to build a road there or maybe to make a nice uh, road for you in San Antonio, but they're paving the Tel Aviv roads not with gold, but with bombs to kill and maim the indigenous people of Palestine who are both Jew, Christian, and, and Muslim, and pagan. My Our family is Christian. Our, our Christian family is being bombed by Christians, by U.S. Christians, <laughs> who are funding this occupation for yeah. 57 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and
1: that, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, I guess – Mark Mark went back and he was doing some of this timeline stuff and he was going you know 2000 years back it, th- this christian zionism was being laid in place so my question is is was it the financiers saying we we own israel we own this place of christ this place of god this land of the lord we own this place we're going to turn this entire world for us, so instead of it being the little Roman Empire or the Alexander Empire of Egypt, they're going to own the world. And so let's say let's say I go in let's say I go into um, a school and I want to change the ideology and the football team to be a winning football team. I got to step into this football team and I got to change the way these boys think. I got to change the way the cheerleaders are cheering. I got to change the way the teachers get behind this football team. So the football team feels like they've got people on their side. I've got some major psychological work to do on my local football team. who hasn't won a game in five years. If I want to step in and be the coach and win one game, okay, win one more, one game. I've got a lot of work to do. My my question, my question is, is did this start with the financiers of this world who wanted to own the world, not just Alexander's little monarchy, not just not just you know, this other little monarchy or this little they wanted to own the world. Did this Christian Zionism start? Knowing they could get into schools, they could get into colleges, they could get into churches, they could get into people's heads, they could get in and start warping, you know, warping our minds to say, Jew, 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 Israel, 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 you say it enough, we start to believe it. That is what our mind does, right? I would agree with
0: that, Justin. I actually agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I think you're correct, actually. Uh, Mark, what do you think?
2: Uh, yes, and uh, and lo- look at the irony of this: the Scofield Reference Bible uh, was first pub- published in England by the Oxford Publishing House, owned by the House of Rothschild, right? And and when you start looking at things that way, uh, right up to the to the present time, uh, you uh, w- one understands uh, the nature of this uh, in terms of of what is really going on here. Uh, I have the book in my library. I don't have it in front of me, uh, uh, but I think the title of the book is "The Amazing Schofield and His Reference Bible." Uh, it it gives us the real inside story behind Cyrus Schofield, who he really was, uh, what his uh, uh, who and what his connections entailed. That would uh, I think dovetail perfectly with with what you're suggesting here, Justin. And then, of course, when you get into uh, the 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 whole question of of Zionism itself. Look at the ancient model when when Christ was being tried by by the Romans only because the they were concerned about a Jewish revolution against Roman rule in Palestine. They really they knew Jesus wasn't guilty of a capital crime. They were being dragged into this entire mess. the The crowd that was calling for Barabbas to be released. Barabbas was a a Zionist of his time. He was a Zionist terrorist, he was a revolutionary, he was a killer. And by releasing uh, Barabbas instead of Jesus Christ in this attempt to appease this Jewish mob, basically we come to understand through a series of things that precede this moment, Uh, In, for example, the the way in which the Gospel of Matthew reports this, uh, what kind of kingdom uh, were these Zionists looking for? be they the first century ones calling for the release of Barabbas, or these people now like the Is- Israel's ambassador to the United Nations who showed up at Hagee's church Sunday night to deliver a lecture to the Christian Zionist faithful about how important it was to keep the money rolling in, how important it was to continue supporting them against all of these evil people that are trying to undermine Israel. Well, obviously there is a merger. And by the there. way, is that the same yes. ambassador
0: that just uh, went and told, uh, asked for the uh, the UN chief to resign just now? Yes, this morning. Same guy. And he said they wanted to resign because he sa- he stood up and said Hamas was not created in a vacuum. What he said was uh, it was created by fifty six years of occupation, and we need to deal with that. And so, what did the Israeli ambassador do? I want him to resign. I want him to resign. Like, you know what? Excuse my language, but fuck you, dude. <laughs> yeah. This is well, bullshit, Good Gutierrez, Gutierrez could have bullshit. gone another yeah. step further. And- Americans my fellow yeah. Americans are being ripped off like Justin, and, and they're going out and giving donations to these assholes who are going and killing children for 56 years and claiming these people don't belong there. Look, you're welcome to come hang out, but stop killing us, dude. Simple as yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and The world and, uh, is watching this, and I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, the United States and Israel are standing alone. They are not standing with anybody. They're, they might be twisting arms in Europe, but the people of Europe are not standing with them, and the people of the Middle East are not standing, and the people of Asia are not standing with them. This is a really U.S.-Israeli war against the whole freaking world. And if they do not careful, you're going to end up in World War III, and the U.S.-Israel is going to get their ass kicked. Exactly. Okay, we will fight back. Yeah. We will not take this shit any longer. I'm telling you, it can't go anymore. Everybody's hating this. If American exactly. Christians want to straighten up their act, stop donating to Israel and start investing your freaking money at home. Take care of your children. Put your money so, into, into roads, your your schools. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, so
1: with what Mark has been talking about and bringing into history and then the current – thought that I am questioning and bringing up for conversation. And then what Johnny is saying, like, uh, you know, again, we're, we're sending money over there. We're being duped. I guess my, my, the thing we need to unpack for people who is now sitting here going, well, why is Johnny so mad? Why is Mark just talking about the history? Why is Justin sitting here bringing up questions? I need questions answered. So my, my thing is, is, what was the point of creating this christian this christian zionism that israel must stand they must have their freedoms america is going to be the one what what was it in israel with these 16 million jews who don't even believe christ is the messiah and now and now we 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 must stand with these people, like I'm not against anyone. Let me tell you straight up: I know black, I know gays, I know lesbians, I know Jews, I know Muslims. I, I know them all. Right? I'm not against anyone, so I don't want people to take this as wow, this is a very anti-Semitic podcast. Like,
0: wait, wait, I wait. <laughs> I just saw a post from the ADL. They just called you anti-Semitic. <laughs> because that's how um, you gonna get labeled, my friend.
1: But, but, but the thing is, is before they go and they say, "Well, Johnny's anti-Semitic, dude. You're from Palestine. Your whole fat family's from Palestine." Mark, well, he's a pastor, but my goodness, he's anti-Semitic because he's speaking out. Well, this Justin kid, I don't, I don't know who he is, um, but he sure sounds anti-Semitic. We need to, we need to look into him. So, my point is. Before people label anti-Semitic, they need to have their questions answered because I've got questions, right? So why do we have this pro-Israel movement in America that we have to stand up for, we have to fund? They're the people of God. Well, I'm sorry, they may be the people of some God, but they're not the people of Christ because they deny Christ. What, What are we doing getting behind this in such a massive way?
0: Yeah, what this are you is, doing? This is this so that's is a the, good question. This, you know what? This, this is this the, the people in power. The, the people in power are using the Americans, and that's why you need to do it. You need to kiss their ass, give them money, and do what they tell you to, and and do it smiling and screaming and saying, "Yeah, this is great." They're doing this for power of control of resources around the world. This is a psych- psychopathic movement of psych- psychopaths. Really, I think they're psychopaths. That's my opinion. Mark, ultimate, what do you say? The ultimate. Uh, that uh,
2: everything you guys have been saying is, is is spot on. The ultimate purpose of this modern Zionist movement is the creation of a world government, predominantly under the control of a Jewish cabal. And if uh, you don't believe me, go back to David Ben Gurion, uh, the uh, ex Prime Minister of Israel, who uh, basically told, I believe, Life Magazine in 1962 that he envisioned a world government or a world. Uh, governance structure that would have the city of peace, Jerusalem, at its center. Now, fascinatingly enough, all of these Protestant evangelical Christians who believe that in, at the end of history, we will see an exponential increase in, in evil, in immorality, in war, and suffering, and I believe all those things. That's quite clearly in the Scripture. But they go on with this uh, Christian Zionist, Parenthesis theory of theirs uh, related to the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, and they say that we must support the modern state of Israel at all costs, even though uh, Tel Aviv is arguably the the world center of the LGBTQ movement, right? Uh, even though in this country, Joe Biden and I got into this uh, uh, in a in a in a media. Uh, uh, I won't say shouting match, but at the time of the Obergefell decision, Biden was in Israel saying that, well, you know, the, it has been the disproportionate contribution of Jewish people in America that has brought us into gay marriage, abortion on demand, feminism. He may have, I think, even mentioned transgender surgery and so forth. And uh, the only difference between Joe Biden and what I said to press television in Iran Biden thought these were terrific developments. I said, from a Christian perspective, they're evil developments now. And yet, nonetheless, Protestant evangelicalism finds itself on the same side as a secularized uh, Ashkenazic Judaism that denies Jesus Christ, that is arguably the largest organized force against Christianity in this country. So you have this this paradox where, we're being asked to stand with Israel, quote unquote, at the same time that the domestic Israeli lobby is disproportionately on the side of all of these culturally Marxist uh, positions that Protestant evangelicalism has historically opposed. The other thing in all of this that I think is very critically important to understand is that uh, two things, uh, Israeli exceptionalism. Uh, has been merged with the doctrine of American exceptionalism. They're, they're, they're hand and glove wedded to each other, almost, almost, uh, uh, in, in a way that they've been molded together by steel. So that if you believe that the, the United States, uh, due to the 19th century, uh, doctrine of manifest destiny, among many other things, that the United States, uh, is different from other empires and the laws that govern other empires in their rise and their fall. That's because America has been, in an exceptional way that characterizes virtually no one else, has been blessed of God because, and that's what they because they stand with Israel. Now that's pretty sick uh, thinking. So, pretty yeah, sick Yeah, thinking.
1: yeah, yeah. But it makes it makes sense. So that. it's, It's a bigger picture that started long ago in order to get the minds of the American people to believe we have to stand with Israel, but underneath this whole thing, you bring up, you brought up, you said a word that I can talk to a lot of people ever since this kind of unpacking of 2020 and what happened in 2020. There were people who don't know anything about Cabal, Illuminati, Deep State. They started questioning the whole 2020. What was 2020? Who was behind 2020? Well, someone was behind 2020, right? They just knew something was behind the unboxing of what happened in 2020. I grew up in a home where I was well aware of the Deep State, the Illuminati, the Cabal. However, the the funny thing is, this is what I want to... Uh, bring up is we were taught that this Illuminati cabal deep state running the the puppeting of the world uh, when I was a kid was up in Russia Russia was the house of kind of the deep state the cabal the Illuminati one thing that I just heard you talk about one thing that I just heard you say is that the deep state the Illuminati the cabal the, the the puppeteering of the world is right there in Israel? Is that what I just heard you say?
2: It is largely historically a Jewish movement, not exclusively so, but but historically disproportionately so. And and to show you how far this wacky thinking goes, if uh, when you start talking about the support uh, that uh, Christian Zionism has for these secular uh, or for these Jewish settlers who, uh, who hate Jesus Christ, uh, but nonetheless want the same third temple that Hagi Hage says is so terrific and that need, they need to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque and put up this third temple. Uh, fascinatingly enough, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, who is it that the apostle Paul tells us will take his seat in, uh, on the throne, uh, of, uh, in that temple of God? the Antichrist, the man of perdition, the same individual that John talks about in Revelation 13 as the beast. And the beast, of course, has his false prophet who is like his press secretary, his political spokesman uh, lending a certain type of, of uh, secular political legitimacy globally uh, to the satanic force that is operating through this so-called beast. Uh, so there you have a situation where how does Christian Zionism explain its rabid, fanatical, uh, pro-Third Temple position uh, with the eschatology of Second Thessalonians chapter 2? It says, yeah, that temple uh, looks like it's going to be rebuilt, but uh, uh, the person who will be seated in that temple will be a counterfeit Christ, the beast. I it's mean, you can see the implications of this. It's going to be, be, be fake. It's going to be counterfeit.
1: Right. It's going to be another dupe on the people. They're going to sit there and go, oh, bless Israel, bless. The Christ has come on this third temple, on this third mount. But it's going to to look and it's going to act and it's going to tell us to keep funding and it's going to tell us to keep loving. And these people, 15.9 million of them are against the blood of Christ, against it.
2: And look at the Philip Giraldi, Dr. Philip Giraldi, mentioned earlier here, the ex-CIA station chief. He, he wrote an article for UNS. Why is there such organized, disproportionate, and organized and well-financed Jewish opposition to Putin's Russia being expressed through people like Victoria Nuland and Robert Kagan and the rest of that disproportionate Jewish cabal, which, of course, includes Anthony Blinken and Josh Sullivan and all these other people? Uh, why is that? Well, the argument has been made, and I frankly believe it with what I constantly get from Russian English language sources, that what's going on there is that Russia is being perceived, and of course China as well, but in terms of Russia, the reason uh, that they are so hated by this this globalist cabal, Russia is a post-Bolshevik, post-Jewish Bolshevik society returning to a cultural and spiritual understanding of their state that is rooted in Russian Eastern Orthodox Christianity. That mean, that's that is why the Russian state has stood against LGBTQ. Uh, that's why uh, over time Putin decided they better kick George Soros out of uh, and his NGOs out of Russia. This is why when you start looking at what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, as was pointed out in this uh, article in uh, Katahan that I'm going to pull up here, a, a, a Russian source, this whole business of, uh, of, of uh, the persecution of the Russian Orthodox Church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the canonical Ukrainian Orthodox Church in Ukraine and in Kiev, being undertaken by uh, of Volodymyr Zelensky and his cabal, with absolutely no media coverage of this in the mainstream media of the United States whatsoever? Well, that's because if we really understand who Zelensky is and the role of Igor Kolomoisky uh, in getting Zelensky into his position of political prominence in the Ukraine, there we start talking about what? Something else that Christian Zionism doesn't want to get into. Christ references it in, in, in uh, Revelation 2.9 to the Church of Smyrna. He references it in Revelation 3-9 to the Church of Philadelphia. Those are the two best churches in the list of seven. Jesus warns them all, in both instances, about the synagogue of Satan. What is the synagogue of Satan? Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and following tell us. The synagogue of Satan is those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Jesus is talking about these very people uh, that have been, that Justin has identified here, the disproportionate number of Jewish people who have rejected belief in Jesus Christ, who see no connection between Jesus Christ and Abraham, none between Jesus Christ and God the Father, but who see themselves at the forefront of a secular political movement that says that our kingdom is of this world, our kingdom is racial, our kingdom is geographic. Our kingdom is going to be instituted by by uh, by military force and by economic power. That's the same version of the kingdom that Barabbas and the Zionists of the first century were looking for, and that John Hagee is promoting in uh, at, at Cornerstone Church.
1: Yeah, it was it was all about
2: power and money and fame. All the things Jesus stood for: power, money, violence, premeditated murder, all of those, all yeah, of those great true. things. Yeah.
0: Now, now gentlemen, before I let you go, we we got 10 minutes left. I got a really important couple things to say before I let you guys go. I'm going to ask you a question and get your response to it. But before I do that, I want to tell all our VT readers and listeners out there get your VT cup. It says VT Radio on there. Go to our site, click on uh, merchandise. But more importantly, please, if you like this kind of open conversation, this uncensored conversation, this speaking truth to power conversation, Please support us. We're not supported by the mainstream media. We're not supported by the corporatocracy. We're supported by listeners and viewers around the world. Please go to our site. On the right side of every article, you'll see a little little picture of a guy with a cup or something, and it says, please become a member. Click on that and, and, and spend $8 a month supporting our media. It, it goes a long way. It pays the bills. It gets on the podcast. Now, having said that, gentlemen, I'm going to fast forward to modern times. We have a Gaza war going on. We're on the premises of World War III if this does not go well. Uh, I have a different proposal. You can call it the 21st century proposal. I believe that Theodor Herzl's uh, vision of the world at his time, a man of his time, was not jaundiced. He he was stuck in a world where Jews are being persecuted for 500 years in Europe. So I get it. But the truth is, we live in a globalized world now. So he, here's my thing. I sent out to all the VT writers around the world, and I've asked their opinion. So I'm going to read. I got the first response from VT writer Richard Cook, and I'm going to read it real quick. And uh, But before I read that, I'm going to tell you what the proposal is. Uh, let me see. Real quick. Okay, here we go. Proposal. It's a big thing. The West has failed, and the failure earns no reward. VT demands a paradigm shift to a Middle East union where there's one citizenship, passport, money, and freedom for all its citizens to live, work, travel, and worship. Jew, Christian, Muslim, pagan, all free. We know this works already because after 500 years of killing each other in Europe, we now have the almost half a a billion people strong EU. And we can have the same in the Middle East too, maybe 400 million uh, people. Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Israel, Palestine, Jordan, Saudi, whatever. A trading block of people, not a bunch of freaking prisoners held held prisoner by the cabal uh, of the Saudi rulers and the Zionist uh, banksters. Now, is that good, bad, hater, or love it? Let me read you uh, Richard's uh, response here. He says, I totally support the VT Middle East Union proposal. Where we are today is the product of British imperialism, enforced by U.S. banking and firepower. I have been reading the work of Professor uh, Preparata, who explains that the configuration of nations in the Middle East is entirely the work of the British and the restructuring of the defeated Ottoman Empire after World War I. The purpose was to divide the Middle East into a large number of mutually competing provinces, a.k.a. nations, whose antagonisms would allow the British to rule over the region and its hydrocarbon riches uh, in perpetuity. Israel was planted on the shores of the Eastern Mediterranean as a hub or cockpit. Of course, the Jews had their own Zionist agenda, but they were more willing to become British U S enforcers over the indigenous peoples. Now that's what Richard Cook says. Uh, I'm going to get the first impression from uh, Justin. Then Mark, I'll give you the last word. Justin, what do you think about the Middle East union proposal? Yeah,
1: I, I don't think it's a, bad idea. I mean the EU did their thing and there was a lot of people who was against the EU, right? And a lot of a lot of things have to happen in order for a union of that sort to happen. So I I think it's a great idea. However, I I don't think there was so much war going on within the European nations in order to get um, the e 've done it was more of a finance how 's money going to pass type of a thing. We have so much bloodshed happening happening in the Middle East. I mean it is bloodshed after bloodshed after bloodshed, and some of that bloodshed is because their way of life tells them to take that bloodshed right and it, as long as bloodshed is is being spilled out on the streets over life, property, people, sex. Religion, gay, lesbian, as long as bloodshed is being spilled, I'm not sure there's ever going to be a union unless God just comes and does a miracle and says, you know what? Peace be with all of you. This is the plan. Johnny Punish's union is going to be instilled.
0: Something to that effect. You know what I mean? Okay, Justin, I, I'm going to take a disagreement on one position that you, that you took, which is um, there was more bloodshed in Arabia than there is in Europe. I, I categorically uh, disagree with that position 100%. Uh, the Europeans fought for 500 years, killing each other in war after war after war after war from the year 1492 all the way to uh, World War Two, when 80 million people died during World War II, uh, Madoff, Hitler, et cetera, et cetera. In the Ottoman Empire, which uh, came after the year 1423, I believe, um, the actual – they invited Jewish people, Christian people, and Muslims in part of their administrations. There was virtually no issues with Jews, Christians, and Muslims for 500 years during the Ottoman Empire. What actually happened was the Ottomans lost World War One, and it was the British – I agree with Mr. Cook – that was the British that carved up the, uh, the Middle East and turned it into this mess. And that's why I'm arguing that we need a, a, a Middle East union because – this mess is not working. It, it's failed. All it did was control oil in Iran, in Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. And wh- who created Mark Sykes? Listen to this. Mark Sykes and Francois Pico created the Middle East. They were never. They never even been there. They never went. They were sitting in a, an office somewhere at Versailles. Card, okay, you take, this, we're gonna call this Iraq, and let's call this Lebanon, which didn't exist and we'll call this thing Saudi Arabia. They went behind the back of Prince Faisal, who was trying to make a deal with the, Versailles, and they screwed everybody. And the people that made money were the people on oil. Now, that's my disagreement on position. Uh, Mark Dankoff, I'm going to give you the last word on Middle Eastern Union. What's your opinion about it?
2: Well, uh, I, I think it's uh, certainly not a bad idea. I definitely agree with you, Johnny, on the Sykes-Picot Treaty thing, which uh, alongside of the uh, Balfour Declaration, those were, I think, the two, chief developments of the first part of the 20th century that got us where we are now. But on the other hand, I, I tend to agree with Justin that uh, I don't anticipate with where we are now that anything approaching uh, the the positive values and the vision of what you propose is going to transpire until the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that's where my own eschatology comes in. I'd like to say one other thing just to our viewers, as far as the importance of what we're talking about here. Uh, if you can get to, uh, to uh, the Russian site Katahan in English, uh, there is a terrific article there, uh, and it's uh, written by a gentleman by the name of Walt Garlington. It says, Bad Theology Leads to Bad Foreign Policy. He unpacks a lot of the same things that we've been unpacking here, and uh, one of the people that he mentions in this Uh, is uh, my good friend over in Spring, Texas, uh, Father John Whiteford, who was a Russian Orthodox priest on my RBN show. Whiteford is cited here with some of the biblical passages uh, for why this uh, Christian Zionist experiment is not only heretical, it's inflammatory, it's racist, it's totally contrary to a proper understanding of the kingdom of God and Christ. And last but not least, as you guys understand, and I certainly do, and Walt Garlington does, and Father Whiteford does, it's leading us into a third world war. I don't think that that would be God's desire for our lives. Justin?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's dividing the Christians of the world.
0: That's sad. Yes. We're all sad by it. We're all sad by it. We've got to stop this, guys. And, I know. Stop and, this. and, if, and the clock we, is ticking. We,
1: it is it is and i would like to continue this dialogue johnny and mark and i would like to unpack right. i would like to unpack the importance of ukraine
0: and all of this um okay we wh- to wh- leave that for a different conversation justin because we're yes. going to speak to dr alan Sabrowski and helen of destroy this weekend you and i we're going to talk uh, part two of christian zionism in america then we're also going to speak to other people uh, Lucas Leroy, he's going to talk about the Ukraine this week as well. So I hope you get on that show as well, Justin. There's a lot to talk about here, gentlemen. And we can speak for 25 freaking hours. I know you guys are passionate mm-hmm. about these subjects. and You you care about your fellow man. And that's why we're all angry and pissed off because that's what this is about. We, we, we love our neighbors and we don't want to hurt children. And this is disgusting and grotesque. So that's why we're all fighting for this. So w- whether we disagree on positions, but we I think we can all agree that um, it's about the future of our children, isn't it? Am I wrong about that? So, all right. On that note, uh, I want to say thank you, Mark, for being on the show again. Mark, what are you working on now? How are people going to reach you uh, uh, if they want to support what you're doing and donate to what's happening? Tell us, Mark.
2: Well, uh, chiefly, that's going to involve the Republic Broadcasting Network up in Round Rock, Texas, north of Austin. Uh, The Dan Koff report this particular Friday at 2 p.m. Central Time is going to be running part two of my conversation with Patrick Slattery on on Gaza, which is pre-taped. I'll be live again the week following that. In the meantime, I'm uh, trying to put together some theological articles that would uh, kind of unpack some of this stuff that we've been chatting about and uh, trying uh, hopefully uh, to at least get an online audience to look at those articles uh, and to reassess uh, where people like John Hagee are taking us, which is nowhere. Gotcha.
0: gotcha. And I want to yeah. thank chief Justin time assistant manager of VT for his first appearance on VT radio. Awesome, Justin. Thank you for being on the show today and uh, yeah, i looking to forward time. to having many more conversations with the future. Gentlemen, have a fantastic day. Johnny Punish has got to go. I'm out of here. Peace, brothers.
1: If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT
2: approves this message.